I'm on now. So we're going to continue on in the narrative arc that we began at the start of this year, going through the drama, the story of the Bible. So in case there's any parts of this year that so far you don't remember or maybe you've blacked out, uh, I'm just going to give you 4,000 years of history in just a few minutes. Be with. All right, so we started, we started in Genesis. We started with creation where ex nihilo God created the whole of the universe out of nothing. And then he created mankind and he chose one man. He chose Abraham and he said, Abraham, you and your descendants, you are going to be my people on this earth. And so he chose Abraham and through Abraham he created the nation of Israel and then the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt in slavery and they cried unto God and God rescued them. And he took them out of Egypt and he took them to their promised land. And they established, established themselves as a mighty nation. And they had the mighty king, David. And they reigned, and there was all these wars, and they fought against their enemies, and it was glorious. And then they started fighting amongst themselves, which is a little less glorious. And more tragically, more tragically, they started fighting and rebelling against God. And so the nation of Israel split into two. You had the ten tribes in the north, they became Israel. And then you had two tribes in the south, they became Judah. And then there were a series of kings, lots of kings, and some of them were fantastic, and then there was a whole lot of really bad ones, and every now and then you'd get a good one, and then there'd be more bad ones, and it gradually declined, and all the time the prophets were saying, you've got to stay with God, you've got to keep with God. And they didn't listen, and so eventually what was prophesied came to pass, the ten tribes. In about 721 BC, the ten tribes were taken away and they were never heard of again. The second, the two tribes down below Judah, they hung in there for a little bit longer, but eventually they too were carried off by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, in about 586 BC. There's about 70 years in exile with the great prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel, and Jeremiah started putting words of comfort. And some also some fairly confusing prophecies about statues and strange animals. So it probably confused them a little bit too. But after 70 years, eventually they cut a break. Artaxerxes, around 433 BC, says you can start to go back to Jerusalem and you can start to rebuild. So a remnant struggle back. Under Nehemiah and some great leaders, they struggle back and they cautiously step forward, aware now more than ever that they cannot be the people they were destined to be without God's help. The might of their former selves was no match for the sinfulness of their inner selves. In short, they needed God to be God's people. And they know, because it's been prophesied, they know that their God is coming back to restore all things. So while they're restoring their walls and while they're restoring their temple, they are waiting for the Messiah who's going to rebuild and restore their destiny. And so this is where we are. It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. So we're going to turn now to page 1003 in your pew Bible. Page 1003. This is where we're up to today. this one. You guys are all excited now. You think this is going to be a really short sermon. Because as you can see, page 1003, there's not a lot to go on. Thanks, Chris. 
Because between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, which was written about 400 BC, and the beginning of our New Testament, where you know, the narrative begins at 0 AD, the clock resets to Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, there is a 400-year gap of nothing. Nothing. And as you can see, I've called it the intermission. Some people, some people refer to it, it's probably more profoundly known as the intertestamental period. Other people call it the silent years because nowhere else in the Bible are there 400 years of nothing. Of nothing. And so what does it mean? Does it mean anything for matter? What that matter? What can we learn from these empty pages? Especially when I know we're all eager to turn over, aren't we? Who's ever read the Bible cover to cover starting from Genesis going all the way through? It's not, it's not actually recommended. A lot of people say it's, it's quite a hard slog. It is a hard slog. I've done it several times, though, and here's what I love, is that you turn the pages, and as you go through every single page, you're going through all the drudgery and the, the kings who didn't walk in the way of David and all of that stuff, and every page you're turning, you're thinking, yeah, but he's coming. He's coming. Hang in there, guys, because I'm turning the pages, and he's coming. And you get to Malachi, and you just turn the page. But the Israelites, they didn't get to turn the page. They had to wait 400 years. And while I'm not sure exactly what that time taught them, there is something that that 400 years can most certainly teach us, and this is the glory. This is the glory family of the Holy Scripture. It's like a multifaceted jewel. And when you hold it up to the light of the Holy Spirit and you can turn it, there are hues, there are colors, there is meaning that applies to us here and now. There is meaning in every single word and family, there is a meaning in every single blank page. And I've been thinking about this, you might be relieved to know, I've been thinking about this and I think there are three things. Have I got this on? Three things, here we go. Here they are, three things that the intertestamental time, the intermission time can teach us. First of all, it can teach us that God's timing is perfect. God's purpose is perfect and God's presence is perfect. And you know it killed me to not have a P for timing. (laughs) It did, I tried, I got to God's pace is perfect. It didn't quite work because... Timing is the right word, isn't it? Timing is the right word because we have all been there. We've all heard that before. Whenever we go on and we're moaning about how we're having to wait for something, there's already somebody there to pop up going, God's timing is perfect. And it's true, right? It's totally true, but it's not often a very comforting thought because Joseph, he did have to grow up. He did need to be there to hear the cupbearer's dream. He did need to be on hand for Pharaoh, but seven years, folks, in an Egyptian prison. Or you have the Israelites. Yes, they were a bit moany coming out of Egypt. And we can all agree the golden calf was a massive mistake. But 40 years in a desert, wandering around when the promised land was right there, saying... God's timing is perfect is not saying God's timing is easy. 
the remnant that gradually flowed back to Jerusalem from Babylon to rebuild spent about 20 generations waiting. And you can bet that in every generation in that time, they looked out on what was going on and they said, the time's getting closer. He must be coming soon. He must be coming soon. Because it was not 400 years of nothing. A lot went down, much of which fulfilled to incredible accuracy the prophecies of Daniel and the Old Testament prophets. So I did 4,000 years in a couple of minutes. 400 years should be no problem. Here's what happened. Oh, my box, my box dropped. Okay, as you can see, Israel, Judah, never, never got their freedom back. There was always somebody. They bobbed around on a sea of conflict, which they are still bobbing around on today. You had the Medo-Persians. Those were the guys who allowed them to go back, followed by the Greeks, a.k.a. Alexander the Great. Heard of him? He wasn't there for very long, but he had a big impact. Do you know why? Because he got everybody speaking Greek. He then passed it on to the Egyptians. They had a go. Then the Syrians came in, and they were particularly nasty. There was a guy, what's his name? Antiochus Epiphanes, who hated the Jewish people so much, he just started persecuting them to such a degree that uprose the Maccabees. They were a Jewish sect, and they decided that they had had enough. So they came up, and they reigned for a little bit, but then along came the Romans. Who's heard of the Romans? Yes, they conquered the entire known world, and they pretty much took over. There was enough bloodshed and persecution and division and those 400 years for people to think, surely the time has now come. Because we're not good at waiting, are we? It's not a human trait. Psalm 13 is one of many psalms. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long? will my enemy triumph over me? And that psalmist was David. He had a pretty action-packed life. He was a king by the time he was in his early 20s. Not a patient man. It's not a human trait. Waiting is hard, and yet, and yet, God's timing is perfect. And in Galatians 4, as we've just heard, we are told, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. God's perfect timing takes time. The people in the intertestamental period had to wait 400 years for the Ezekiel and for the Messiah Malachi spoke of. And we can relate to this, can't we? Because since Revelation, we've been waiting 2,000 years for Jesus' return. I remember my granddad looking at the news when I was a little kid, and he said, he's coming back. He's coming back soon in our lifetime. He's coming back. And it's not an uncommon thought. I mean, we've all had thoughts like that every now and then. I mean, honestly, this last year, you're looking at what's going on, you're thinking, that's not normal. What does that mean? Surely, waiting is hard. But here is the key to waiting. It's not in the verb it's in the proposition. It's not who you are waiting for. It's who you are waiting on. 
there are two problems with waiting for. The first problem, if you're waiting for, is you think you know what it is that's coming. I'm waiting for fill the gap. And they did fill the gap. And they had some very specific ideas on what the Messiah they are waiting for was going to look like. And I don't think, I'm giving too much away here, when I say that when we turn the page next week and we get to the New Testament, the Messiah who eventually comes is not who they are waiting for. They were waiting for the Messiah. They had decided who was coming. And when Jesus of Nazareth came into the world, many who were waiting for him didn't even see him. The other problem with waiting for something is there is an assumption that I'm on time and whoever I'm waiting for is late. I'm waiting for so-and-so, therefore I'm ready, and they're not. So I'll just cut that straight away. Our God is never late. That is why we don't wait for God. We wait on God. Waiting on God is different. Waiting on God says that our hope and our confidence is in God's divine will and provision, whatever it is he sees fit to provide. You know, we have got a lot in common with the intermission Israelites. We too are desperate for God's intervention and the ultimate fulfillment of his promises. We too don't know the day or the hour and we too don't really know not that anyone can agree on, on what it's going to look like. God's timing is perfect. And it takes God's time for his purpose to be fulfilled. God's purpose is also perfect. And you know, the events of those 400 so-called silent years were so important in terms of readying the world for Jesus Christ. Here is a quick summary of some amazing things that happened in those 400 years. The Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, was written. Remember Alexander the Great? He was really important because in getting the Old Testament written in Greek, which is also where we've got the Dead Sea Scrolls from, that was a version of the Septuagint, we got the gospel message of the Old Testament in a universal language preserved waiting for the time that the gospel was going to go universal. So the Septuagint was written. Over that time, the Apocrypha was also written. I've got a copy of it here. Anyone read the Apocrypha? It's, it's pretty hard going, actually. Um, it's, not, it's not official part of the scripture. It's not part of the canon. But we just need to recognize that there are many of our Christian brothers and sisters for whom this is a really important book. And it's worthwhile reading, according to Martin Luther. So there you go. 400 years were critical for the formation of our scripture. And all those wars, all those wars in those 400 years set about in motion a Jewish diaspora, which was also very important. Do you know, at the time Jesus Christ was born, they estimate there was a million Jewish people living in Egypt alone. Community all there waiting for him when this little refugee family comes down. And with every single community, every single part of the diaspora, there emerged something that had never happened before, the synagogue. There were no synagogues in the Old Testament. But because of the diaspora, they began developing places of worship everywhere they went. And the synagogues are crucial because where did Paul and the apostles go first? 
What became the basis of the new Christian churches all over the world at that time? The first stop was the synagogue. And how did they get to the synagogue, folks? On Roman roads. Rome, all of a sudden, is really important. Rome, did you know they built 250,000 miles of roads? Some of which, a lot of which, still exists today. Because of Rome, because of their dominance, because they established Pax Romana, because they had peace and security as long as you did what they told, there was the ability for Paul and the apostles to travel and to spread the word of the gospel. Those 400 years were critical. Finally, God's people, divisions, development of divisions. You know, once they had recovered and they got hunkered down and started waiting, they also started delving deep, trying to find out what the answers were. And what they found was they couldn't agree. In fact, over that time, eight different groups You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Scribes, the Publicans, the Herodians, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Eight distinct groups emerged in the Jewish community. None of those groups existed in the Old Testament, but in their formation, they created the very divisions and factions that would set the stage for Jesus' ministry. It would allow God's voice to ring out in a new and startling way that many who were seeking truth amongst the conflicting opinions, would hear it and recognize it. So is it any wonder that when John the Baptist arrived, the strange figure in goatskin, people flocked into the desert to hear what he had to say. Finally, there was a voice calling out amidst all the arguing that inspired a response. We know from looking back At the intertestament period, the things had to be in place before the time it was ready, before the time had fully come. And here's the kicker. We can trust that one day we're going to have the same hindsight on this period we're in right now. You know, we think about waiting all wrong. It's got a, a negative, passive connotation, like we're waiting in a doctor's surgery for our name to be called. But that's not the kind of waiting we are called to do. Just like those in the intertestament period, we have a purpose now. We are told to focus on our own finishing line, not just the finishing line of the human race. And we see that in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. And yes, we long for his return. But in the meantime, we must run. Whether he returns before we reach our end or not, either way, at the finishing line, we will see his face, and like the hymn says, we will claim the crown through Christ our own. Every hour, every day, every year, even this one has a purpose. God is not waiting. He is fulfilling. So why, why then was this so, time so quiet? 
Why do they call it the quiet period? Why is the page blank? Was God silent? I don't think he was. Our God, our Father, is not an absent Father. His presence is perfect. If God was not moving and inspiring and communing with his people, how was it that 400 years later there was still a faith in people's hearts that called them out into the desert to hear John? In the opening chapters of the New Testament, we immediately meet people of great faith who hear God's voice and recognize it. See, the people had the voices of the Old Testament prophets speaking to them just as they speak to us today. The Old Testament scriptures were sufficient to guide them through until the time they were ready for the New Testament to be revealed, just as the Bible is sufficient for us. What has been divinely ordained as our scripture is enough to see us through. So let's think about that. Just because God may not be speaking in a specific way does not mean he is silent. We have an idea that the silent treatment is a punishment, isn't it? Being ignored or abandoned. There may not have been new published prophets, but the gemstone that the Bible is and the Holy Spirit can light through, he can take ancient words and give them to us and reveal them to us in new ways. So sometimes you hear people say, there's nothing about that in the Bible. I can't find pandemic in the Bible. But we don't need specifics. What we have is sufficient. The Bible is not meant to be an encyclopedia for every possible entry of life. It gives us all the understanding we need and possibly all that we can cope with to point to God's path and direction. You see, these periods of waiting, both the intertestamental period of waiting and the period that we're in right now, they were and this is the time for God's people to speak, to seek and pursue their purpose, even if we're not entirely sure where we fit in God's timeline. For it's always time for God's purpose to be fulfilled, for him to be glorified and obeyed, even if that journey takes us through some hard stuff. Because as was then and as will be, just at the right time, God will come. God's timing is perfect. His purpose is perfect and his presence is perfect. He was not absent or silent in those 400 years. And I shall be so bold as to say, he has never been absent or silent in the entire history of mankind, apart from one time, and one time only. In Mark, we read, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time God has ever turned his back was to his own son. To Jesus Christ, who willingly took on the entire weight of the world's sin so that we would never be alone. You see, just at the right time, when the time had fully come, God did come. And in dying and taking our sin upon his shoulders, he literally tore himself apart so that we could come to him, so that his Holy Spirit could come to us, and so that he could go on to declare in Matthew, 
Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. His presence in our life is perfect. His purpose in our lives is perfect. And his timing for our lives and for this age is perfect. You know, we get to turn the page next week. And we get to relive the part of the narrative where Jesus comes. And he puts an end to the 400 years of waiting. And it's, it's something I'm looking forward to. Love it. But for right now, for today, the question is not who you're waiting for, but who are you waiting on? For Jesus has come, and he is now here. We here, right now, are to be the fulfillment of his purpose. If Jesus is not the one you are waiting on, then wait no more. Talk to somebody. Pray with someone. There's going to be people up here after the service wanting to pray with you. Don't wait until next week. For his timing is perfect. His purpose is perfect. And his presence is perfect. Right here, right now. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you that we can look back in hindsight and see your hand in everything and see your purpose in everything. And we can trust, because we know you are a good father, we can trust that your hand and your purpose is in everything that's happening right here and right now. Even though we don't understand it, even though we're scared by it, even though we're confused by it, we trust in you. We hold our lives and our hands and this world open to you. Have your way. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you help us just to, to seek your purpose and to run our race right here and right now and to just take joy in, in fulfilling what you have for us to do. I pray for your blessing upon us. Help us to wait on you, O oh Lord, that you would be our strength, that you would be our joy, that you would be everything for us. And in your name we pray. Amen.